I think theology is for the clergy. I just believe in Jesus. Certain hermeneutics of eschatology demand an exegetical approach. I think you shouldn't question what you were taught in church. Isn't that blasphemy or something? Welcome to the broadcast, folks. I am Michael Patton, and this is Theology Unplugged. I'm joined here by Tim. Hey, Tim. Hey, it's good to be back in the studio. Good to have you. Um, Sam's not joining us today. No, Sam, today. We are going solo. Yeah, well, we got a special guest in the studio audience. John Bailey is joining us. He's he, waving at us through the bulletproof glass. You might hear some heckling in the background, and that would be John. John, good to see you. um sam not here because why he he doesn't know anything about the subject or what we we didn't ask him to come we didn't we (laughs) we just we just didn't send the invitation he'll be here next time lord willing next time okay well good uh do we have any anything that we need to talk about beforehand anything coming up christmas is coming up christmas is that's good yeah looking for that thanksgiving before that this should go online uh um, soon, so this will be well before Thanksgiving. Before Thanksgiving, before Christmas, obviously. So mm-hmm. uh, start thinking in the direction of uh, getting some Christmas presents and getting somebody to the theology program, a Bible boot camp. Yeah, yeah. And just so you know, we are videotaping tomorrow. We are actually videotaping the next boot camp, Volume 2, and it should be in our store uh, within a week or two. And so it would be excellent to give to somebody for a Christmas present. Well, it'd be hard for anybody, if they hear this, to get there quick enough. But if you get this tonight on Friday mm-hmm. or early Saturday morning That's right. and you're in Edmond, head up to the Credo House. we got a free Bible boot camp. That's right. So it'll probably apply to one or two people that hear this. Yeah. But if you are one of those chosen one or two, please come. And if not, just check on the credohouse.org schedule and you'll see for sure another Bible boot camp come up here pretty soon. Although I just put that Bible boot camp on the schedule yesterday because mm. we didn't have it on the Credo House site. Yeah. Who do I blame that on? Me. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, guys. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, today... Uh, and maybe this will be one of, I don't know how long it's going to go. We're just going to feel it out. It has the potential to really take off. Yeah. And maybe to bring Sam in later on, but especially when we start looking in your closet, it could really, really take off. Yep. We're going to be looking in people's closets. That's what we're doing. That's right. We're going to be talking about closet doctrines here today on theology unplugged closet doctrines. That's a, something you probably haven't heard before. I actually made that up. Oh. So, uh, you know, don't don't take it too far with anything. Don't start Googling closet doctrine. There probably won't be anything about that. It's nothing Augustine talked about, nothing mm-hmm. Luther talked about. But it is something that is a concept that I think that is very important for us to, um, to wrestle with. Um, I wrote a blog called Those Pesky Closet Doctrines. Mm-hmm. I got the pesky from Roger Olson. Roger Olson has a blog, and he wrote not very long ago a blog called Those Pesky... Oh, what was it called? Oh, Those Pesky Shelf Doctrines. Oh, wow. So you really just ripped them off. Yeah, I did. Pretty much 100%. Sorry, Roger. Well, it it was a very good blog post about shelf doctrines. Let me just tell you what a shelf doctrine is real quick. A shelf doctrine is something that... And I've heard this before, shelf doctrines. Mm. Um, it, It is something that you believe, but you're not really that sure about. 
You know, it's okay. something that you you can't really defend that much. It's just something you've always believed, and it's something that you're not really willing to give up. Mm. Maybe you've studied it some, and in the end, you're slightly convicted about it. Okay. And, and so the idea is, let's just put it up on the shelf. It's one of those shelf doctrines. It gets dusty, and you don't take it down too often because your mm. conviction about it is not that strong. That's mm. a shelf doctrine. What's an example of one of the shelf doctrines? Well, for a lot of people, maybe their um, views of the end times, you have that quite a bit on the shelf. People just don't know really know where they stand on that. They may have a conviction about one view or another, but it's just up on the shelf. It's not something we're going to talk about very often just because my conviction of it isn't that strong. Mm. Uh, a closet doctrine is a little bit different. A closet doctrine is something, uh, obviously, you know, coming out of the closet has to do with revealing something that you were ashamed about beforehand. Mm. Um, whenever you put doctrines in a closet, those usually are those doctrines that you may be ashamed about. And so that's what I mean whenever I say a closet doctrine. It's those doctrines that you, you believe, but you probably won't bring it up to any of your friends, especially those people who are you're trying to get introduced to Christianity. They may not be Christians. You want them to become Christians. So let's not really talk about this because it's one of our embarrassing things that yeah. we don't like to talk about. I usually illustrate this real well with, uh, with, um, Mormons. Mm -hmm. Uh, they have a lot of, uh, what I would see as closet doctrines. Uh, the idea that, uh, God was once a man. Mm -hmm. Um, God was once a man that got elevated to the status of God, that we will one day possibly uh, be gods ourselves mm. and be have our, have our own planets, and kind of like God did, we can elevate ourselves and have our own universe. The underwear. Yeah. The reason why that is something that is a closet doctrine is it's something that used to be easier to talk about, but in, let's say, modernism, in our modern age, scientific era, critical era, uh, people take those types of things and say, well, let's not talk about that anymore. Let's kind of get rid of it. Closet doctrines start off as closet doctrines, but they eventually, if left unintended, get just forgotten about forever. Mm. Uh, sometimes we just try to get rid of them because they are in the closet. Mm. And so easy to talk about with Mormons, but Christians also can have closet doctrines. And my, my thoughts that I want to go to here on Theology Unplugged is, should we have closet doctrines? Mm. Are there certain things in the Christian faith that like becoming gods one day? You know, we we get a little bit blushed in the face if we talk about oh yeah that we don't really want to talk about that you know that's kind of embarrassing and yeah well we believe it it's you know it's nothing let's don't talk about it type thing. No, are you saying that you used to believe that we become God? No, I'm, I was never a Mormon. Yeah, okay. I just wanted to make that clear. No, not one of my closet doctrines. Okay. <laughs> I, I mean, I think we can all have closet doctrines, though, mm -hmm. and we we need to be very careful about this. What doctrines we put in the closet? Because, from my perspective in, in teaching theology, especially today and in a more of an academic environment where people want to gain respect, where people want to have their thoughts commendable. 
not only just acceptable, not only just uh, we're able to talk about it, but commendable mm-hmm. in a marketplace of ideas. Whenever we have the new atheism on the rise and the scientific uh, community, which demands some type of empirical evidence for things that we believe. Now, l- let me just be clear here. Are these things that you still would believe, but you just don't really want to advertise them anymore? Or are there things that you think we should put in the closet to stop believing? No, no, I'm not saying. I'll make the argument that if it's a belief that we have, we don't put it, ever put it in the closet. Okay. There's no reason to put anything in the closet. There's no reason for us to be ashamed as Christians. Why don't we get out in front of people and talk about these things? Even though it is easy to get into this approach where you only want to discuss main points that are more commendable. Now, I've danced around the issue for long enough. Mm. I need to give some examples in the Christian community. I think one of the most evident closet doctrines that evangelicalism is, uh, broadly speaking, beginning to put in the closet is what we talked about last week with demonology, Mm -hmm. demon possession, um, the activity of Satan, any mention of Satan. Those are things that we don't really bring up, you know, whenever we're in an academic environment. Why? Because they just kind of seem almost so far-fetched, mythological. They, they start taking on this, uh, this Christian myth type thing. Mm -hmm. Um, you just don't want to talk about it. Yeah. It's easier for people, and I get people all the time, more and more and more, and that's one of the reasons why I wrote this blog and want to discuss this, is I get more and more Christians who are, they, they believe in all the essentials, Jesus raising from the grave, uh, that Jesus Christ is God, uh, all, all the main particulars that have set us apart, and all the rest just kind of get set aside eventually. Mm-hmm. And whenever you talk about things like demonology or demon possession or demonization, they like to put it in the closet or redefine it. You can, mm-hmm. you can redefine it and then it doesn't have to go in the closet quite so, uh, uh with, with so much shame. For example, there's a lot of people out there that whenever you talk about demonology, demon possession, whatever it may be, and you're reading through that in the scripture and you read Christ and the demoniac and, and the, the kid who was throwing himself in the fire mm-hmm. and uh, the apostles could not cast this demon out. All of that type of stuff is spoken of in terms of the scientific revolution. Mm-hmm. And uh, many people would say, well, th- those things aren't really true. Mm-hmm. I said, well, what do you mean they're not really true? That they would say, well, that was in the day whenever they didn't have science to be able to explain that this was epilepsy or, or something else, some mm-hmm. type of psychic experience, psychotic experience. And nowadays we know better. And so, you know, you ask them again, okay, do you believe the Bible? Well, yeah, I believe the Bible. Do you believe it's authoritative? Well, of course I believe it's authoritative. Well, then what do you mean then that this is not true? Well, it was true for them the way that they perceived it. And so, therefore, what you have is this idea of accommodation. Jesus didn't really believe he was casting out demons, or if he did, he was just uh, caught up in the culture of the day. Mm. But we know there's no such thing as demons. You know, that's, Mm. That's bizarre stuff. That's kind of one of those odd things. Let's put it back in the closet. Let's redefine it. Let's do something with that other than... You know, coming out and saying, "Hey, we we're, we're in a spiritual battle. We're in a spiritual battle against demonic forces. 
We need to be careful about demons, those types of things. Mm-hmm. And, and so you can see here how that can quickly become a closet doctrine, mm-hmm. how it can be redefined really quickly. It's uh, ashamed of it. Um, I mean, we, we can go into lots of things such as donkeys talk, talking. Mm-hmm. You know, did, did the donkey really talk in the Old Testament? Mm-hmm. Did the snake really talk in the Old Testament? Mm-hmm. Those things are things that we don't really bring up. Because I've never seen a snake talk, and it sounds really bizarre. Mm-hmm. It just sounds mythological. Mm-hmm. Demons, snakes talking, donkeys talking, all of these things that just sound quite bizarre, we start to put in a closet, or we redefine it. Uh, we, we could go on and on with examples. I mean, you talk about Noah's Ark. That that if 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 something doesn't sound like kind of a bizarre thing, uh, if these other ones don't, I mean, think of the these animals two by two, you know, mm-hmm. two by twosy, going into the Arky Arky. Isn't that a song? I don't. My kids call it the Arky. The Arky Arky. They just call it the Arky. I don't remember the song, but there was yeah. a song that yeah. we used to sing to my kids. Yeah. But anyway, well, in many ways, you're talking about the supernatural. Yes, we are, but the most bizarre of the supernatural. The most super of the supernatural? Yeah, is that I want to say mean? that. I just say the almost the ones that carry this mythological character to it. Yeah. They just look like mythology. Mm. And so we don't really, we, we don't want to defend them. We don't want to put wear them on our sleeves, which I'm not necessarily saying we wear all these things on our sleeves. Yeah. Well, and some people would claim that all of the Bible sounds mythological, in, you know, not just the most fanciful, but a risen savior, uh, a savior just in general is a, could be a mythological con, uh, construct. But what we're really talking about is those things for us, though, as believers seem mythological to us, perhaps. Yeah. And when someone asks us about it, maybe we feel a little, uh, a little nervous or feel a little ashamed trying to defend. And so would it be better just to say, yeah, you know, I don't know really if that was true or not, but you know, I, I'm still just loving Jesus and believing in Jesus. Yeah. And sometimes you just say that it wasn't true. You just put it in the back of the closet or you just minimalize it to such a degree that, that you're, you're trying you see, we gotta be careful. Here's, here's the issue. I believe in what's called a uh, minimal facts approach. I believe in what's called um, uh, the difference between essentials and non-essentials. And, and many times whenever we are presenting ourselves as Christians to the outside world, we do want to convince them of the most important things, mm-hmm. right? That's, yeah. that's, that's the first thing we want to do. Not many times, all the time. Yeah. We don't want to spend our whole life trying to convince someone that a donkey spoke to Balaam. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I had a girl that I've been going back and forth with from Berkeley University that uh, all she did was write back to me all the time about all of these bizarre things. Noah... The ark. No, Satan. when you say bizarre, you're saying it in all reverence to God, though. Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's bizarre <laughs> as well. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's 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 out of the natural realm of of our uh-huh. observable world. That's I mean, for sure. I mean, we're talking about. Uh, let's see here. I've got a few more on the list. The plagues of Egypt. Uh, Jonah being in the whales. Jonah stomach for three days. Just just these things that are, from our experience, very bizarre. She wanted to discuss those. And I didn't want to discuss those. I want to discuss the resurrection of Jesus, which is a bizarre event, but mm-hmm. but it's one that we have not yet redefined. Mm-hmm. We haven't put that in the closet quite yet, although you know the, that could be coming with some people. Mm-hmm. But it's it's this minimal facts approach that I would say let's just discuss the thing that makes you a Christian. You okay. know, 
Let's discuss the central element of Christianity. I don't want to spend all my time trying to prove or disprove or whatever about snakes talking, about the possibility of snakes talking. And so then we we um, we we just discuss that. That's called a minimal facts approach. It's uh, dealing with the essentials, not the non-essentials. But in my mind, once you have dealt with the main things, then you are required at some point in your discipleship to begin to discuss and and assimilate these other things that may be these closet doctrines. Mm-hmm. It's not that they stay in the closet. It's not that, the, that we, we deny them and hide them because we're wanting to look to the outside world to be more intellectually astute. That's not our job. Um, our job is to try to give people the gospel, which would be the essential, but also to say that whenever the Bible speaks, it's authoritative. Mm-hmm. Now, whenever we talk about donkeys talking and, and snakes talking and demons demonology, demons demonizing people, uh, we, we need to be careful and we need to try to understand what all of that means. Uh, some people would understand the snake talking to be part of a different type of a genre, which uh, is not meant to be taken literally. And that's fine. That's fine if that's the direction you're going. But here's, here's the issue I have. And here's the issue that I, I, I reach out to the audience that is listening to the theology I'm plugged with to ask themselves these questions about these closet doctrines. Do you attempt to redefine them because you're embarrassed by them? Mm-hmm. What is your motive? That's it. I mean, if your motive in trying to understand the early chapters of Genesis, and yes, they are odd with snakes talking in gardens— to a woman who gives in to a snake, if your motive in that is because you, you want to redefine that, you want to say it's a mythological genre, because you're embarrassed by it, then this is a closet doctrine for you. It is a closet doctrine that is skewing your theology. It is a closet doctrine that is being put in the closet because of prior commitments to acceptance to a world that you believe is not quite so bizarre. You have a preconceived theological construct which those verses do not fit within. Yeah. So you need to get them out so that your view of reality can stay the same instead of be changed by these closet doctrines. Yeah, it's a whole worldview that that shapes how you see the Bible and how Mm. you see the plagues of Egypt. And so the, I guess the biggest complaint that I have about these is, is that the motivation behind them. And here's the odd thing. Here's, here's really the odd thing is whenever it comes to, to closet doctrines, we hold them because normally we have not experienced something similar. Most people who have experienced some type of – I mean, if I had experienced a snake talking, right – if that was a daily part of my You'd routine. Like, oh, he talked to them too. Yeah. Huh? yeah, yeah, no big deal because what we're doing is we're looking for what's called empirical verification. Empirical verification is verification of uh, some type of knowledge base that stems from your sight, your sound, your, your touch, your feel, any type of uh, sense experience that you have towards something. I have never since experienced these things. Therefore, they are bizarre. Most of you listening to this have never experienced these things, and therefore they are bizarre as well. But here's the issue. Is 
because you have not experienced these things and because they are outside of of your daily routine, does that make them any less unlikely? That's the question. Does it make us able to call into question the authority of what is spoken and redefine it in order to shape it according to what we experience every day? Is that enough? And the thing is, oftentimes we have become completely desensitized towards towards the bizarrity of our own life. You see, I'm sitting here. You are a bizarre man. I, I, I am, and so are you. Everybody listen to this is bizarre. Thank you. You know why? Because you're in existence, for one. You've just, we, we've just lost sight of what it means to exist. We just exist, and so therefore it becomes a normal part of our daily routine. But we don't think about what is required of existence itself and how bizarre and how great of a miracle we experience each day with these things. That I am sitting here able to speak and to articulate myself to some degree at least is a bizarre thing. But I experience it every day, so it becomes part of our normal uh, human speaking is no less bizarre than an animal speaking. That I am able to speak into this microphone while it's being recorded onto something in that computer there, that I have no clue what's happening between the microphone and the computer. Something to do with electricity and magnets. Don't From know there, how. We have no idea. Don't know how it gets delivered. I just trust that it does. I, I, I don't know how RSS feeds work, but most of you guys are getting this off of an RSS feed that's going through iTunes. Don't know how iPhones work, but a lot of you are sitting here listening to it on an iPhone. Don't know how any of this most basic technology that I take for granted every single day works because I am desensitized to it. Mm-hmm. And once you become desensitized to something, it's easy to accept it. It's just part of your daily routine. And so, therefore... This is not bizarre. Snakes talking, very bizarre. Me talking, not bizarre. Computers recording, not bizarre. RSS feeds grabbing, not bizarre. Once you make it a norm, it doesn't matter what it is. It's no longer needed to be in a closet. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that we're, we, we need to recognize is how bizarre and how miraculous and now I'm changing the word to a more positive one. How miraculous all things are. Whenever we come to the conclusion that Jesus Christ died and rose from the grave, that is no less bizarre than a snake talking. You don't experience it every day. You just see it as a central point of your faith. If a snake talked, then so what? You know, what's the big deal there? Do we have to have some type of scientific discovery where we find a fossilized snake and then scientists on you know Time magazine say, hey, we've, we've found a, a voice box that mm. looks like it used to be in snakes. And then all of a sudden people are like, oh, okay. You see the authority. And that's why I get really worried sometimes that for those of us who believe in sola scriptura, we believe that the scripture is the final authority in all matters of faith and all matters of morals. But oftentimes we really don't mm. because we got a lot of closet doctrines. Mm. We got a lot of things that we're, we're a little bit nervous about. We don't want to be looked down upon. We don't want people to raise an eyebrow at us. And so as many of those things as we can get rid of, let's get rid of them. 
And that happens all the time. That happens all the time whenever people are doing theology. That happens all the time whenever people are trying to be intellectual. And our ministry is called Reclaiming the Mind Ministries. Reclaim the Mind Credo House Ministries. But Reclaiming the Mind. And a lot of people that are trying to reclaim their mind think that part of reclaiming their mind has to do with sheltering their mind. Mm. Sheltering their their the the outside world's perception of us. And that's not what we're called to do. I mean, that's that's kind of my main point of this whole thing. We're not called to distinguish between what is a closet doctrine and what is not and try to make it more presentable. I'm, I'm not that, – that's not what I want to do. I don't want to go out there and make it as presentable and as least likely to cost us a red face. That's not our job. Mm-mm. Our job is to be able to present the truth, and it's a spiritual thing. And if it's bizarre, it's no more bizarre than creation out of nothing. I mean, if I believe that God created all things out of nothing, I've just accepted the most bizarre thing that I could possibly accept. Snakes talking, well swallowing, these little things that we see each day, they're, they're nothing compared to this. Well, and what's so interesting is that we talked about several broadcasts ago is that Stephen Hawking, who is considered the most intellectual human being alive right now, uh, has a view now that what we exist had to have come from nothing or in this uh, universe at least that something had to come from another universe to this one so it's interesting that here we have believers who are struggling with this ex nihilo idea of of creation from nothing yet uh, someone who is not a believer and is considered the most intellectual is is coming to this conclusion in some way as mm-hmm. well um, I think interesting on top of that, though, is that Jesus, in many ways, affirmed a lot of these closet doctrines. You know, so he would say, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a fish, and then goes on to speak. And so it seemed like he, at least, was not afraid of many of these doctrines when he was teaching. He seemed to be reiterating these from the Old Testament. Well, let me let me try to illustrate a little bit more the the frame of thought and why this is such an important thing and why we need to be so careful as Christians doing theology not to have closet doctrines. I'm not saying you can't have shelf doctrines. Shelf you're not sure about, you put it on if if you're not sure about it from an exegetical standpoint, meaning interpretive standpoint, you're interpreting the Bible and you're not sure whether a snake really talked, whether that's mythological genre or not, put it on the shelf. That's one thing. The closet doctrine is different. Whenever we, whenever you approach it from a scientific perspective, the bizarre things that often occur in science, the bizarre things that you have to accept, and I'm not saying they're not true. This is not where I'm going with this, okay? Mm-hmm. But whenever you look at the theory of evolution itself, that's about the most bizarre thing I've ever heard, Okay. And I'm not saying I'm not dealing with that right now. I don't personally believe in evolution. I think you can be a Christian and believe in evolution. That's not where I'm going. What I'm going, where I'm going with this is that somehow there's a respectable community out there that says that we are in the same family, the same genetic tree as monkeys. You know, we're talking monkeys. The talking monkeys were, what were they beforehand? I don't know what the tree looks like today, but somewhere back there was a snake, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and somehow the, the, this evolution happened to where, where species evolved 
and became talking. It came from a single cell to a multiple cell to a fish to growing legs to standing up and to talking and to being on Theology Unplugged. Well, and that there was a succession of that to the point that if one of those things was said, hey, we've been going in this wrong direction and it's just not working and they're all dying, but somehow they didn't all die. They figured out a way so that every one of those generations would be able to procreate and would be able to continue this successive chain of life that has led to us being the descendants of this this long chain. And if that chain would have broken anywhere along the line, we wouldn't be here either. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that in itself, this chain of life, seems to be pretty bizarre as well. Well, it is, and it's just very bizarre. And in the end, what do I say to scientists? Don't put it in the closet. You don't put it in the closet. They don't. (laughs) I mean, but, but, but for some reason, it's irrespectable whenever you have it in scientific uh, terminology. But then whenever you have it here in the Bible and our authority is the Bible, then all of a sudden it becomes bizarre. Mm. The bizarre things that you have to begin to accept is a scientist that is an atheist scientist. I mean, I I was watching a a special not too long ago that uh, was Richard Dawkins. You know Richard Dawkins, the... New atheist guy that mm-hmm. you know supposed supposedly supposedly is 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 reviving the intellectual community and calling on religious people to quit being so naive and bizarre. Uh, whenever he was pushed <laughs> pushed to to answer the question, where did everything come from? He said, maybe an alien race came and seeded the planet. Okay, see. You see how we all get back to some type of bizarre stuff somewhere? You mean that's not true? <laughs> well, I mean, it's bizarre and, and fine if that's what you believe because sometime you're going to have to hit the wall and it's bizarre. Everything mm-hmm. becomes bizarre at some point. Existence itself is bizarre. Another guy was asked that was an atheistic scientist the same question, and he said, I think we probably rode on the backs of crystals. And he said that with a straight face. Yeah. Stephen Hawking, you just talked about, Mm. said that gravity and black holes show us that there must be some type of other universe which we genesis out of. No, no different than aliens, you know, aliens planting us or something. Mm -hmm. We came from somewhere. But it all starts with this world that we live in. And folks, this is this is a theological precursor to everything. Don't lose the miracle of life. Don't lose the miracle of existence. Don't lose the bizarrety of everything that is going on around us. Because once you do, then you can start having closet doctrines as if, as if the things you see and the things you, you, you feel, the things that are empirically verified are any less bizarre than than what we experience every day. Yeah, just watch a video on the ocean and all the animals and fish in the ocean and how bizarre many of them are, and that'll awaken us to the bizarre. Well, it's a reality. It's a reality. I mean, we're, we're ending our broadcast here, and this is Theology Unplugged, and folks, we go back 200 years and try to tell them anything that we do today, and they would say, you're nuts. You're nuts. That's miraculous over and over again. So I have no problem. Here, here's what I'm saying. If the Bible's interpreted rightly and it says that there's evil forces out there, there's an evil creation, my goodness, why would I have a problem with that? 
that there's there's no problem with me except that there are demons that there are angels that that, uh, demons, uh, angels. that a snake spoke that uh, there was an ark that there was a flood that covered the entire earth that all there's these judgment things. coming uh, I mean folks we live in a bizarre world that's it a wonderful bizarre world with a savior. But it's a wonderful, miraculous world, and that's what we're talking about. Belief in the miraculous, as you said at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Don't have closet doctrines, folks. That do, do approach things tactfully. Make sure you're giving them the gospel. It's not our job to convince them of these other smaller things first. But in the end, don't place these things in a closet. If you believe them, if you're interpreting the Bible rightly, don't worry about it. It's a spiritual battle. All right, folks, uh, for Tim and John, good to have you. This is Theology Unplugged, and we'll catch you next week. You've been listening to Theology Unplugged. Visit our iTunes page by searching Theology Unplugged at the iTunes store. All episodes are available as free downloads. Theology Unplugged is made possible by Reclaiming the Mind Ministries. Reclaiming the Mind Ministries is a listener-supported ministry. If you've enjoyed this session or benefited from it in any way, do consider partnering with us. For information on how to become a ministry partner and for a complete listing of ministry resources, visit the RMM homepage at www.reclaimingthemind.org. Thank you for listening and God bless.